Hey there, grace and peace to each and every one of you this week. I am Captain Roger of the Salvation Army Corps here in beautiful Grass Valley, California, right in the heart of Nevada County, and thank you so much for joining us for our online time of worship and study. Hey, um, today is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, which sounds exciting, and, and you know what, it can be, Palm Sunday can be a very exciting day, but... Our celebration of Palm Sunday far outstrips its biblical meaning. I mean, I, I usually just even ignore this holiday except to point out how the Bible story emphasizes how Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfills prophecy. But that's really all there was to the whole thing. As they entered the city, the crowds went their way and Jesus and his followers, well, they... They did this. This is uh, from Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's right. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But you know what? Welcome to the beginning of Holy Week. We're going to take a two-week break from our examination of the book of Acts to spend a little time on the most important event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the week leading up to the celebration of the holiday that we now call Easter is called Holy Week on the church calendar. During this week, we identify and rejoice in the teaching and activities of Jesus in the days leading up to his arrest and execution. Then we go on to the empty tomb and the many witnesses to his impossible, miraculous, God-ordained resurrection. This is the one holiday that really matters. So it's only right that we spend more time on it than just a few minutes next Sunday morning before we dive into baskets of jelly beans and chocolate bunnies. All right. Now, before we go through this week, I've put together some observations for you to carry with you. Each day of the week has its own message, all of which tie together to help us understand and honor what happened as a, a part of that first amazing resurrection so that we can make it an integral part of our lives even today. So we're going to start where most weeks start, Monday. Now, Holy Monday is the second day of the week that begins with Palm Sunday. Now, among the other events which have occurred on this day, we celebrate Jesus cleansing the temple. And this refers to this time when he entered and disrupted the marketplace inside the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, scripture says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, people have given all kinds of reasons for this action. But knowing where this market was might be the key to understanding why Jesus did what he did. The outer courts, where the merchants had been allowed to place their tables, was known as the Court of the Gentiles. And it had been the one place where everyone could come to freely worship the Lord. But once the market was set up inside this court, all worship activities here came to an end. So when Jesus disrupted commerce and taught in the court of the Gentiles, everyone who was there could see and hear what he had to say. No one was excluded. 
On Holy Monday, we celebrate that the message of Jesus is good news for everyone, regardless of who they are or where they have come from. Which brings us to Tuesday. On Holy Tuesday, we remember how the temple and religious authorities confronted Jesus, asking where he got the authority to do the things that he did. Uh, scripture, again, teaches, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Now, they might have been hoping that Jesus would say God gave him the authority because that would have given them cause to arrest him and try him for blasphemy. After all, if someone tells you God sent them, your first thought is probably not, oh, God sent them. Your first thought is probably, what's wrong with that guy? Instead, however, Jesus asked them whether John's authority to baptize... John the Baptist, as we refer to him now, Jesus asked whether John's authority to baptize was from divine or earthly origin. And this put the questioners in kind of a difficult position because if they acknowledged John as being from God, they would need to acknowledge that John had affirmed Jesus. They would also need to acknowledge a lot of the things that John was teaching that they didn't necessarily want to go along with. But if they said that John was just a man, there was a real risk that the thousands in the crowd who recognized John as a prophet would riot. So they said, well, we don't know. But you know what? This answer is also problematic. It's the responsibility of these same leaders to know the difference between true and false prophets. This is a... This is part of the role of this particular group of leaders, the Sanhedrin. They are supposed to help people figure out what is righteous and what is not. Saying that they didn't know shamed them. And it left them scrambling to discredit Jesus by trapping him with trick questions about taxes or resurrection and God's commands, which they tried. But Jesus dealt with all their questions. And then he asked one of his own about how to identify the Messiah and how that Messiah would be different from David, the revered king whose family line was supposed to produce the savior that everyone was waiting for. Matthew tells us, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, the, the leaders, they were shamed, they were silenced by their failure. And Jesus used that to point out the many other ways in which they had failed to live up to their moral responsibilities. It is no wonder that these guys stepped up their efforts to get Jesus away from the crowds so that they could have him killed. If Jesus was who and what he claimed to be, well then we need to be aware that that authority extends from that day right into ours and then beyond right to the end of time. We can accept it and obey his voice, or we can reject it and live with the same shame that settled on those leaders back in that day. That reminder of the authority of Jesus and its source should drive our thoughts as we celebrate Holy Tuesday. Pardon me. <clears throat> what day comes after Tuesday? Ah, yes. Wednesday. 
You know, the traditions that grow up around religious observances are sometimes extreme. And uh, the things that people do in the name of religion sometimes violate even the basic beliefs of that religion. Wednesday of Holy Week is called Spy Wednesday. And it certainly has inspired some of these antithetical practices. It really has. Spy Wednesday commemorates the actions of Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' original twelve apostles. Judas, maybe he was disillusioned by Jesus' teachings or disappointed he couldn't make more money for himself as a follower. Or he might have been trying to force Jesus to become the kind of Messiah that Judas had been hoping for, one who would raise a sword against the enemies of Israel. Whatever his thinking may have been, Judas slipped away from his group to ask the religious leaders that Jesus had just shamed how much it would be worth if someone were to tell them where they could find Jesus without those crowds surrounding him. And so he became a spy for the opposition, making this Spy Wednesday. Get it? 007, he ain't. But still... In some communities, this day is celebrated by an outpouring of scorn and hatred for Judas. An effigy of him is uh, thrown from a steeple or another high place and then dragged through the town in a bizarre lynching parade while people throw sticks, stones, and insults at him. And whatever remains of the doll when this procession ends will be put to the torch or drowned in a nearby body of water or sometimes both. Jesus who taught and demonstrated love for friend and enemy alike, would never approve of this. And remember, in Ezekiel 18.23, God says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So I suggest that we find a different way to remember how Jesus was betrayed than scorning Judas. Every person is created in the image of God, and every person who is lost should be mourned, even, and perhaps especially, Judas Iscariot. Thursday. The Last Supper, the arrest of Jesus, and the scattering of the disciples all tend to dominate the narrative of the Thursday of Holy Week. For denominations who believe there is a certain supernatural power present in the sacraments, it is common to focus on the idea that Jesus established the Lord's Supper during this evening's meal as well. Uh, for others, it's the action of Jesus washing the feet of his followers that's the most striking element, which causes them to reenact that event even as a sign of their own desire to, um, to imitate the things of God. I... I Personally, I would argue that in this world that we live in right now, washing feet is not really much of a sign. Washing someone's hands, maybe, um, in this pandemic world. Anyway, these are all wonderful and very powerful and moving and important stories that hold a great deal of meaning for believers. But none of them are the central point of the purpose of Holy Thursday. That can actually be found in the name which is actually given to this celebration. We don't call it Holy Thursday, we call it Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday, that's a weird name, isn't it? Where'd that come from? Well, it's a Latin word, mandatum. 
It means mandate or require or command. It's the basis for the odd name that gives this day its identity. Specifically, it refers to a command that Jesus gave during the Last Supper in John chapter 13, where he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, the importance of this command cannot be overstated. When we teach about things in the Bible, we always say that if God puts something in there twice, it must be really important. And then there are some things he puts in three times to really bring home that point. In the Last Supper discussion with his followers, Jesus repeated the command to love 14 more times by my count. Some commentators only count 12, others count 20 or more, because it all kind of depends on how you read, right? But there are somewhere in between 12 and 20, I'm going to say 15, 15 times Jesus says, love one another. How important this must have been to Jesus that he repeated himself so many times in so many ways. You must love one another. Whatever you would do for the person that you care most deeply for is the least you should do for the person you most despise. It's the least you should do for the one you feel the most indifference for or anyone else you encounter in any way. As Jesus would go on to demonstrate a few hours later, this even means laying your life down for enemy and friend alike. This was not and is not just a nice idea or a bold suggestion. It was an unequivocal command, one that we must live out in our lives today. Oh, so much I want to say about that. But let's move on to Friday. Friday of Holy Week. As a child, I never understood why anyone would call it Good Friday. What's good about Jesus being shuttled through a half dozen questionable trials before being convicted of a false charge and then sentenced to death? What's good about the abuse and torture that he was subjected to along the way? And what is good about his crucifixion, the insults and mockery that he suffered, or his ultimate death on that cross? Why would we call this day of all days good? As an adult, I was taught it was because of Jesus' love for us, because he was willing to die for us, because his death was somehow an atonement for our sins as he reconciled humanity to God. Because he died, we can now approach the throne of God with all penalties paid, our records cleared of all charges. And those are good things, right? Well, that may all be true. But it actually turns out that the reason for the name Good Friday is translational, not theological. Good Friday is called that because the older English meaning of the word good indicates a day or a season designated as holy by the church. In short, it's no different in name than any other day of the Holy Week, except that we've kept the old English word good rather than modernizing it to holy like we have for the other days of the week. Now, however you choose to celebrate Holy Friday, Good Friday, let me suggest that you make a point of reading the four accounts of how Jesus spent his day. 
they take about three minutes apiece. If you can't find a way to spare 12 to 15 minutes out of your day to just read the story of Jesus's last day, well, God bless you. If you want to find those, you can find them in uh, Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 61. In uh, Mark, you'd want to start at uh, chapter 14, verse 53, and go all the way to the end of chapter 15. In Luke, you can find the story starting in Luke chapter 22 at verse 63 and read all the way to the end of chapter 23. And then in John, start at chapter 18, verse 28, and go all the way to the end of chapter 19. And bless your Holy Friday. Saturday. We know that the day after Jesus was crucified was a Sabbath day, and we know that by dawn of the first day of the week he was resurrected and had left the tomb. We also know from what Jesus said in Matthew 12, as well as from church tradition, that he was in the grave for three days, three days, and three nights. And we know that some of the women who had followed Jesus had seen him laid to rest. And then came a Sabbath day, which passed. And then they purchased and prepared burial spices and still made it to the now empty tomb by daybreak on the first day of the week. Which, when we put all those pieces together, it means that our tidy packaging of Holy Week fails. Jesus... Crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday, doesn't seem to fit the facts. The truth is, Scripture doesn't lay out the days and activities the way that we do in the modern era. So the inconsistency that seems to be here actually comes from our efforts to use our cultural constructs to explain or understand events that took place in an ancient culture. A careful reading of the Gospels, combined with a better understanding of Jewish tradition, demonstrates that the crucifixion took place on Passover, which is always on the 14th of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar. The next day was always the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, which was decreed by God to be a high holy day which was celebrated as a Sabbath day, no matter what day of the week it fell on. You can find this instruction in Leviticus 23 if you want to go and check it for yourself. Now, the day before any Sabbath, be it a regular or special holy day, was always called a day of preparation. Um, John 19 explicitly refers to the day of Jesus' death as a day of preparation, which is why a lot of times people say that uh, he was crucified on Friday. Now, in fact, let me uh, tell you that uh, you can find that in uh, John 19 at verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. The sixth day, I'm sorry, let me, let me read that again and put a little more emphasis on the, the key words. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. The sixth day of each week 
and the day before each high holy day was a day of preparation. So knowing all this, putting these pieces together, we can say Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan and resurrected on the 18th, leaving three days and nights in between, with two of those days, the 15th and the 17th, being Sabbath days. Now, translating to our calendar as best we can, which is actually kind of difficult because we count time differently than they did. Translated to our calendar, though, as best as we can get there, Jesus was likely crucified on a Wednesday. Thursday was the special Sabbath, which began the festival, and everyone rested as the law required. And then on Friday, the women bought and prepared the burial spices. This was uh, not something that could just be done in a couple of minutes. You just didn't go to the corner store and say, hey, give me a pack of smokes and a box of burial spices. All right. Saturday... Um, they, they, they would get it. They'd have to go home. They prepare it. You boil stuff. It, it takes a few hours. So they didn't have time to do anything more on that day. And then Saturday was the regular weekly Sabbath observance when, you know, they couldn't buy stuff. They couldn't do stuff. It was a, a day of rest. And then on Sunday morning, bringing materials to anoint and wrap Jesus's body. That is when the women discovered that the tomb was open and empty. I know, I'm not going to talk about that till next week. Sorry if I have a spoiler alert. You know, Jesus is alive. Um, anyway, so this is how these days and times should line up. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry to add a little uncertainty right there at the end, but, you know, reasonable people may disagree. And it certainly isn't worth arguing over. It's It's not. But it does fit the biblical story better than the celebration, the way that we lay it out now. And in modern traditions, Holy Saturday is often spent in solemn contemplation of the death of Jesus and the scattering of his followers. For us, it's a few hours spent anticipating the resurrection celebration that we know is about to occur. But put yourself in the headspace of those original disciples for a minute. For them, it was three days and three nights of knowing Jesus was dead and all their hopes and dreams had died with him. They had no expectation of any future and everything that they had been working for seemed to be lost. The story of Holy Week whether we're talking about the one that we've built up over the years or the real story of what happened in those last days, the story of Holy Week is a bitter story without the resurrection. Jesus loudly, consistently, boldly called on us to love one another, all of us. And the howling mob which would take his life responded by crying out for his blood and pouring out their anger and hostility in the way that they had him beaten, tortured, and killed. And through all of it, Jesus persevered in his message, even as he was being nailed to the cross. It, it says in scripture, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. I mean, can you imagine that? Crying out in love for the very people who are driving hate into your body with nine inch long iron nails. Father, forgive them. 
They don't know. As you go through this week, remember what Jesus and those with him went through in this week. Don't just think about baskets of colorful plastic grass and bunnies and candy. Remember Jesus. Remember the love that he has for each one of us, no matter how we may feel about him. Remember his sacrifice. Remember his life given to win yours to eternity, his love for you. And be inspired to follow his command, or at least to try to love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. Love and mourn for those who are lost. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, creator of heaven and earth and me, forgive me. Forgive me for those times when I have chosen not to love, when I have chosen not to sacrifice or maybe even not to share, when I have chosen my wants over the needs of others. When I have forgotten the message of Jesus, when I have ignored or neglected his command, when I've forgotten that I am to love. I don't know if I could love someone who is killing me. I hope I never have to find out. But knowing that this is the love I'm supposed to pursue should give me pause. It should fill me with passion and purpose and drive me to plan ways that I can show your love for everyone, each person you created rather than finding reasons to hate them, to fight them, to kill them, or even just to ignore them. Oh, Lord, help me to love. Help me know how to love. Help me know how to forgive. And how else to follow Jesus from this life into eternity. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hey, uh, Wherever you are, whatever you happen to be doing, remember, you have nothing to fear. God is with you. Wherever you are, God is already there. Wherever you're going, God is already there. Go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you this week. See you next time.